welcome to a very special Pride episode of What a Scream, the podcast where I, your host, Egrain, chats with a special guest every week about horror films. And in particular, we chat about uh, horror films that have to do with a certain subject or topic that I have previously randomly chosen. Um, this week, as I said, is a Pride special, so I am talking more queer horror films. I've already done an episode with Mix Bell Morgan, where we talked about Raw and Let the Right One In. Um, but this week, I am, we're up in the camp factor, because we want to go all out for Pride. So my very special guest is, of course, because who else could I have on for this Pride special? It's Ruby Noir. Hi, Ruby. How are you? It's your favorite bisexual disaster. She's back again. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, bitches. After uh, we both took a little break because we we both had disasters of a birthday month, and then May was just a write off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we wanted to do a birthday special because it's both our birthdays in April. Yes. Yeah, and we were going to do a you know birthday themed horror, and it just just never happened. Well, I actually got, I got diagnosed or I tested positive for the Rona on my birthday. Oh no. Yeah. Worst birthday present ever. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> it was. That's, it was That's really horrible. rude. It was so rude. But yay, Pride Month. What a wonderful yay. month to be back. It really is. And how is your Pride Month going so far? It is going well. I am doing a lot of fundraising this year for uh, Belong To and for Tenny. So it's uh, Belong To our uh, LGBTQIA plus youth services um, all around the island of Ireland. And Tenny is the Transgender Equality Network. So that's kind of my... Um, my plan for the for pride i was like if i raise lots of money i don't have to go and like march and drink and things i can just go to sleep because <laughs> i'm really tired <laughs> and uh in true showgirl fashion you are doing part of your fundraising through karaoke of course yeah what a better way to uh get the gays to come out and give me some of their cash uh if not by offering them opportunity to be share Right. And uh, this queer little girl will hopefully be out singing. Now, the last time I did karaoke at yours, I was very drunk because it was my 30th and yes. I murdered the Little Mermaid. <laughs> and then me and my friend both tried to do Destiny's Child. Oh, it's all coming back to me now. So long ago. <laughs> yes. Amazing. So maybe if I get that drunk again. Well, fingers crossed you will get that drunk again. There is going to be a pride punch um that one euro of every sale goes towards the charities so please drink away (laughs) (laughs) um so of course we decided to do a pride episode and um watch some queer horror now my episode with mix bell morgan previously was quite subtextual queer Mm -hmm. you know it was quite a deep read into films like raw and let the right one in who isn't like they're not out and out queer horror but they definitely have subtext whereas what we wanted to go for we wanted to do camp queer gay like that was in flashing lights like that's what we wanted to do um so which film would you like to start off with i think uh let's start at the lowest rung and then move our way up shall we so we'll start with the hunger (laughs) (laughs) go for it i do think that like a lot of horror can be seen as queer if you look into it deep enough 
Yes. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. We will, but, yes. um, no, if you want to get subtextual, now we're talking textual here. There is no, <laughs> there is no sub. <laughs> there is no, there is no sub here. Well, well, that's, that's not true. <laughs> so this was, and this was my suggestion. Um, so the one that I put forward, speaking of bisexual disaster, <laughs> is uh, 1983's The Hunger, which uh, was uh, directed by Tony Scott, based and uh, written by Ian Davis and Michael Thomas, and based on the book by Whitney Stiver. So it stars uh, Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie as two vampires uh, living their sexy vampire lives in New York City and Susan Sarandon as a doctor whom David Bowie's character goes to uh, to seek help because he finds himself rapidly aging despite what his uh, eternal love Catherine Deneuve had promised him several hundred years previous. Uh, well, that's up for question, isn't it? So uh, he finds himself rapidly aging. He kind of falls off the radar a bit. And Catherine Deneuve decides Susan Sarandon is her next great love who's going to keep her company through the ages. Um, and then there is some sex. <laughs> some? Some sex. Some. A lot of sex. It's <laughs> <laughs> really the main point, main reason anyone watched this movie back in the 80s. It really um, is for that and like the Bauhaus uh, intro. Yes, very much that. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, like fast cutting between splashes of blood, necks, snakes, and like uh, new romantic singers. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's an interesting film. It is. I don't think it's as strong as it could be um, as a piece of art or even as a piece of entertainment. I feel like. I really enjoyed it, but not because it was good. <laughs> if that makes sense. So this was my first watch of The Hunger. I'd always wanted to watch it, just needed an excuse. This was the perfect one. Um, I was shocked at how little David Bowie was in it and how he wasn't really the main character, but yet he was kind of billed as the main character. But well, the main character... I know, movie. I know, I know you cannot give a part to David Bowie and not give off main character energy. But I just felt they wasted so much of that energy on David Bowie and none on Catherine De- De- Deneuve. Deneuve, yeah. Deneuve, her character. And yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. And once David Bowie was put in his casket or whatever, it was like, oh, all right, we'll just speed through the rest of the film and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a funny one, all right. Um, I uh, you know, cards on the table. I had a big old crush on David Bowie for most of my life, so that's the reason I watched The Hunger for the first time was because I was like, ooh, it's a movie with David Bowie in it. Um, I learned very quickly that it's a movie with David Bowie, and it did not always mean a good thing because when I first started on my David Bowie movie catalog, I start you know, all I knew of was Labyrinth, which, you know. Um, as a small child, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Um, <laughs> and I watched like Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence and this. And I was like, this is weird. Why does he keep dying? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do agree. I mean, David Bowie is very charismatic and they give a lot of um, screen time over to uh, moody close ups of him in half shadow. And then as him in a lot of uh, actually very good old age makeup. Mm. Um, I have to say they that really didn't age it uh, at all. And because like, sometimes old age makeup in this day and age is shit. Yeah. So someone really put a lot of work into that. I was very impressed. 
Um, I thought Susan Sarandon as well got quite a good showing. My biggest issue with it, I mean, kind of acting aside, I thought everyone did a good job because it's it's a great cast. You're not going to argue with them. My actually biggest issue was that it kind of felt like, you know, director's first movie out of film school. They were like, we're going to do montage. We're going to do this and we're going to do that and reverb and all the voices. There was a lot of that going on. A lot of like the first practically the first third is full of a lot of fast cuts and sort of you know this proto montage stuff where they're like trying to like they're trying to show you like show without telling very good yeah in this case perhaps needed a little bit more telling yeah just just a little bit um I found that it was I mean obviously the the main theme here is you know straight presenting woman comes over to the dark side by bisexual mm-hmm. vampire woman and oh, yes. it's Evil very much words. right and it's very much like um a, a bi awakening for a seemingly straight woman and how she deals with that and the horror of it um which i guess in the 80s perhaps it would have been seen as a horror whereas now like <laughs> i mean out of all my friends i'm like find me a straight woman <laughs> seriously and also her straight boyfriend was a douchebag and right like, hey, go fuck Catherine Deneuve. have fun Catherine Deneuve. Come on. <laughs> and it just it's so funny how ha- how quickly it happens though like i know it's she just, just turns up at her house <laughs> like just turn up at someone's house drink a bit of sherry or brandy or whatever and uh just take your clothes off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, have a drink, have a shag. And then her boyfriend, like, her. I love the fact that her boyfriend instantly goes to, you were clearly cheating on me with this chick. Like, it, at dinner, like, that evening, he's like, you were there for three and a half hours. You can't have just been talking. I was like, have you met women? We love talking, especially to each other, because we can't get a word in edgeways with men. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it just felt that there wasn't enough characterization but like you said it was very much an art art house film so obviously there wouldn't be that much characterization Mm. and so this transforming of Susan Sarandon's character into this vampire it was just a bit like felt a bit rushed I needed more yeah I agree it was very light on the characterization and very heavy on the visualization like any opportunity to frame someone behind a sort of gauzy uh, net curtain blowing in the wind, it was taken. And it's like, okay, I get it. You you know, you know, learned how to frame a shot beautifully. You know, you learned how to intercut stuff to try and get across a concept. Well done. Can we actually learn about these people and what their fucking life is? Like even the, the vampire nature of the two leads, so Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie, is questionable and there's like there's a little bit of flashback about how they met and then about Catherine Deneuve's origins I guess Mm. but beyond that you kind of really don't know what it's about and that or what they're about even Um, and they're not vampires in the traditional sense they don't have like fangs or anything yeah they've got these little ankh amulets that are like mini daggers that they just yeah yeah tiny stabs tiny stabbings Um, (laughs) tiny Yes, and then uh, every time one of her lovers withers to the point of like sort of uh, desiccated life, so her all of her lovers don't die; they just get very, very old uh, physically. Um, and she just has a stack of them in the yeah. attic. 
you know? Yeah. And I couldn't work out why she doesn't with her. Because she's feeding off their life forces. Okay. That's why she can't kill them. Right. Okay, at least that makes that's sense. That's thought, but who the fuck knows? <laughs> right, because let's talk about the ending here. So Susan Sarandon doesn't want to be a vampire, so she decides, you know, she doesn't want to be an addict, basically. Mm-hmm. So she stabs herself um, and, you know, apparently dies. Mm. But then she doesn't. No, then it turns out that she... And again, unclear, is she also a vampire or is she just living her polyamorous, bisexual, like, life in, best life in a tower somewhere? Unclear where that was supposed to be as well. (laughs) Not New York. That's all I could figure out. (laughs) It was just all very unclear. And like, I mentioned to our friend Anto um, about this film and he was like, that film has no substance. It's something that you'd go to the local goth club and it would be playing in the background. Yes, and that's absolutely. all it was. It was very much goth club background visuals. Um, and that's the best way I can think of to describe it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It is uh, baby's first goth club film. <laughs> Look what I can do with the editing, editing software. Um, yeah, I, it is, I think it is, it's notable for its depiction of same-sex relationships and same-sex sex, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. It, but it both it you know it sinks into both two terrible tropes, which is both you know all gay people are or queer people are predators and kill your gays because they kill off Catherine Deneuve, arguably the only genuine queer person in the movie. Yeah, um, or at least she starts out that way because yeah, the reluctance on Susan Sarandon's character's part is very clear, um, and that is what it was in the eighties, I guess. Um, yeah, it is. It is very. Uh, lacking of substance you are correct but I suppose as a young queer woman watching it even knowing it was bad I was just so happy to see that on screen yeah <laughs> we were just the kids today they don't know no, y'all got really heart and shit we had nothing <laughs> we had Rocky Horror Picture Show and uh... <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show and then in the early noughties we had Willow and Tara and then one of them died too <laughs> And then Zena and Gabrielle from We did have Zena and Gabrielle, but that wasn't open. That was just all that was all subtext and fan fiction. That's true. Um, so do you think that it was a bit of a strange part on David Bowie's um side to be included in this film when he is a bisexual man himself and like to want to portray queer people as evil as the monster? I think that's an interesting question because back then there wasn't really any other option. It's not like he had, you know, it's not like those tropes were acknowledged um, or even really made like very obvious to even a lot of queer people. I mean, yes, it was there, but there wasn't like the discourse wasn't there. Um, there weren't a lot of people sitting down and going, hey, have you noticed how they always kill us? Well, I mean, there were, but... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like the other options were, I mean, what? Like the boys in the band. And that was kind of it. I mean, I think he was a pretty openly queer, or at least to people who knew what they were looking at, openly queer performer. And he liked to take weird and interesting roles. He likes to challenge himself. So I'd imagine that's kind of where that impetus came from, as opposed to 
a specific drive uh, for queer representation. There wasn't as much active thought about that outside of activist circles, I think. Yeah. Now, I could be I could be wrong in saying that I wasn't there. Maybe there were lots of people who were trying to get representation up there and it just wasn't going to happen. But yeah, I mean, the way I've kind of taken it is that, you know, I guess this also plays into something we mentioned, you mentioned earlier, that the reason queer people have associated so closely with horror films is because of this kind of understanding with the monster, especially when Mm -hmm. you think about Dracula or Frankenstein's monster and how as queer people, like obviously speaking from my own experience here, I related a lot to the monster because I was the outsider who was rejected by society, rejected by a parental figure. From my kind of experience, I could be like, you know what, if they're going to paint us this way, we might as well embrace it and Mm. be sexy and monstrous and die a fabulous death. (laughs) we're going to die we're going to die dramatically and loudly yeah no very much so um it is i think that's where a lot of people do are drawn to it i mean as we all know that's why the babadook has become such a gay icon um <laughs> <laughs> you think i'm joking but like it started out as a stupid joke but then people started to say about the babadook exactly what you've just said about identifying with yeah. the monster and stuff and how it can feel like that's how you you are the monster within your own family <laughs> Um, I'm um, just looking at the director here. It's so funny. He like directed stuff like Top Gun, oh and my uh, God. real like, you know, real, real straight fucking, shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to find out whether like, oh no. So he no, he's not queer or anything. Well, he's not. He's had hetero relationships. Um, it's kind of. I don't want to say strange because obviously direct what you want. Mm-hmm. But when I'm looking at this, and so he's done stuff like Top Gun, Beverly Hills, um, he did True Romance, uh, yeah. Enemy of the State Man, like real, let's say it, masculine, you know, action mm-hmm. guy films. I hate saying it like that, but so I'm kind of like, when you think of that lens, I hope he wouldn't have seen the bisexual woman as something to exploit. I mean, one would hope not, but I think there is probably an inevitability to that kind of mindset, particularly in Hollywood in the early 80s. Um, like, forget about bisexual women, just women. Um, and I think that that is clear with the amount of tits that are on show. It's a very nipple forward film. And they're very um, forward. They're great <laughs> nipples. Yeah, very good nipples. Um yeah, it's it's a funny one. I mean, I think that the studio definitely like exploited the concept of it, if nothing else. There was a lot of buzz uh, at the time that it was made, um, a lot of controversy. People were like, oh, they had to close the set and da 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 for the, the sex scene, which, you know, is not that explicit. It's yeah. I heard I, I read a review that I read described it as as dreamily erotic, which I think is about right. Yeah. Yeah, like it's not a crazy explicit scene. It's actually quite a loving scene, which I really liked about it. It's quite tender. It's not aggressive or or scary. I mean, obviously, it becomes scary. Um, scary. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that the acts in and of themselves are treated with enough respect that he probably wasn't too terribly minded about the whole thing. But I think it's impossible to 
to really judge considering the time that it was made um mm. it's such a hard a hard thing to like I, w- I would assume that it probably wasn't handled the best it could have been <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to wonder um another thing is obviously vampires in the 80s were a big thing um and a lot of people, the kind of discourse around 80s vampires, mm. a lot of people related it to the AIDS epidemic yes. of the time. Do you think that comes across in The Hunger? Definitely. Um, like very explicitly almost. I mean, I think it's probably a little early for AIDS discourse to be that open, but the similarities are really uncanny in that there are uh, monkeys involved um, and obviously that was obviously a really terrible and apocryphal thing that went around back in the day about AIDS and the fact that it is this bloodborne disease that comes from this very sexual act that ages you um, so quickly that you die and that was what happened to people I mean their immune systems were absolutely ravaged and they got things like you know they died from things like pneumonia that you like you know normally young healthy people wouldn't have that much of a problem with yeah it's it's always like fascinating to watch what's kind of trendy in film and horror at the time and to be able to relate it back to what was going on culturally I mean at the moment there's this huge upsurge in viral pandemic horror yeah um because obviously of what's been going on what I said too soon man I know right chill out too soon give it give it a decade at least yeah so do you think the hunger is an important piece of queer horror history um yes because I think it is one of the first maybe not one of the earliest films to like really state it out loud uh is it a good piece of queer horror history not necessarily obviously it falls prey to a lot of those uh, terrible queer tropes that we've already discussed uh, and it's not necessarily the best film <laughs> but um but that being said I think it was notable for a lot of reasons I'm gonna say that I feel it's semi Im- se- semi shimmer um semi important <laughs> um because of its depiction and kind of bring into the forefront the bisexual women like obviously mm. we know there's a lot of bi erasure um yes, even going on now there's a lot of biphobia a lot of bi erasure and so it is a film that shows this bisexual woman who loves a man but can also love a woman and at the same time almost you know she doesn't it's not like she just kills off David Bowie and, you know, she lovingly places him in the casket with all her other lovers. And it's, you know, there's been so many wrong stereotypes of especially bisexual women that we're greedy mm. and we're this terrible person eating. We'll come for your boyfriends. We'll come for your girlfriends. We'll come for your they friends. Like, you know. Where is the lie? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's the dream. But. Right. Um, yeah. No, and it's, and and the the stereotype as well of a lot of bisexual people is that we are just uh, we're just in it for the sex. Like it's not. I even actually saw. I heard that recently. I won't go on that tangent because I can't remember the details. But um, like recently, someone talked. Oh no, it was from something terrible. <laughs> Never mind. Cut this bit out. <laughs> 
What was the something terrible? I'll cut it out, but what was the something terrible? It was the fucking way, the Gacy tapes. Oh. <laughs> and he was talking about, and he was like, straight people and gay people, and like, they love, you know, the the opposite sex, they love the same sex, and bisexual people, like, we don't love anyone, we just want to, like, bisexuality is, like, just about sex. And I, <laughs> I was like, oh, that might just be you, son. <laughs> yeah, let's not uh, quote you. Let's uh, not quite bad, bad bisexual representation <laughs> but that's where a lot of this came from yeah <laughs> you know these gacy. like fucking, these yeah fucking gacy and these other like bisexual clowns women. Yeah, <laughs> blame it on the clowns, clowns. <laughs> do you blame it on the clowns <laughs> um so would you recommend hunger to horror fans who are looking for something to watch this pride month no <laughs> Now, now. Uh, I like many of my picks for this podcast, the answer is mm, kind of. I mean, yep. I think it has a certain camp fun value. It is all sheen and uh, production value and very little substance. But it does have uh, David Bowie looking sexy for about 20 minutes and Catherine Genova and Susan, Susan Sarandon looking sexy for the entire thing. So, yeah, and I, I feel like it was Susan Sarandon's like queer evolution. Like she did Rocky yeah. Horror Picture Show and then she had to do one up and get her nips <laughs> out. Like... <laughs> Get her nips out for the girls. <laughs> exactly. Do it for the girls. Um, so, so, our, <laughs> so our next film that was my choice because it is it is my favourite of the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I know, like, people give out about it, but I don't care. I like it because it's just the first time I saw it, I was just like, this is, like, oh. pure art. Loved it. It is. It is art. I agree. I went for A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Um, it is directed by Jack Shoulder and written by David Chaskin. So it didn't really have anything to do with Wes Craven, although it was based on characters by Wes Craven. So mm. he didn't really have anything to do with it. It came out in 1985 and it follows a teenager called Jesse Walsh um, who moves into the former home of Nancy Thompson from the first installment of the franchise. So this is five years after Nancy's battle with Freddy and Jesse starts to notice things aren't quite normal in their new house. So the heating is always, it's super hot birds explode and he starts having dreams about freddy and then freddy starts to become into reality he's not just in kind of dreamland anymore he starts to become part of jesse's reality and while jesse is trying to come to terms with um some attraction to a girl that may or may not be one-sided um and he has to kind of fight Freddie, um, from possessing him and taking him over. Um, what do you think of Freddie's Revenge? Kinky. It is. It is very fucking kinky. So <laughs> much kink. And when people say kink doesn't belong in pride, oh, this so proves people it. Need to get in the sea. Um, <laughs> this is. I fucking love this movie. Now I have to admit, my favorite is personally number three. I'm a. I'm a Dream Warriors fan, but uh, this is comes in a close second. Um, God, what did I think of it? What did I not think of it? It's funny. It's weird. It's very gay. 
It's very gay. It tries. It's trying so hard not to be gay, but it's very gay. The glorious Mark Patton, uh, the first male scream queen, and uh, like I, I hate that this film was both the beginning and the end of his career. Essentially, um, we can get into that, but um, like I thought he was great in it. I actually thought um, Kim Myers is really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she's quite a sympathetic sort of addition. It can definitely be seen as struggling with your sexuality or struggling generally with puberty, which is always a fun one for horror. Um, <laughs> um, struggling with attraction in general. It's it's such a, a it's such a weird film because it's clearly not. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know a lot about the director or try to gather my thoughts. <laughs> I don't know a lot about the director or the writers, but it feels very gay. Oh God, yeah. Um, I, I I don't know how much queer people were involved behind the scenes because there's the whole like leather but daddy gay bar scene and yeah and then someone gets chained naked in a shower and I'm just saying like there are several people I know that would be very into that <laughs> it's weird because like I think when it first came out David Chaskin who um who wrote it Mm-hmm. like refused to acknowledge any of the gay subtext but then in later years he's come out and he's been like no it was so intentional like super intentional um i'm not sure about his uh sexuality where he falls but he came out and was like no it, it was meant to be about sexuality and and gay kind of uh struggling with your sexuality basically mm-hmm. as a teenager in a world where it wasn't fully acceptable the my favorite scene is when he's been told to clean his room by his dad and he puts <laughs> on the music it's so gay <sighs> oh i love it i love the the butt bumping and he was twerking before twerking was a mainstream thing and mm-hmm. oh my gosh it's just it's so beautiful. And then he's got like that weird musical instrument that kind of extends and he uses it as like a a bit of a cock piece. And it's just, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I just fucking love that scene. It is. It is excellent. And yeah, there's, there's like, there's also the scene where he goes to his friend's house, Grady. And like, that's quite a weirdly homoerotic scene as well. Um. Uh, with the exception of him murdering him at the end, obviously that's not very homoerotic. That's just bad. But um, this, yeah, and it's like you know, it's like he wakes up and he's like, "Dude, what are you doing in my bed?" <laughs> like I don't know, what is he doing in your bed? Um, crying mostly. Um, but yeah, it's just and I love the idea of Freddie as literally internalized homophobia, um, like this destructive force that's living inside you because. You can't. You feel like you can't do anything about your situation, which is it's it's actually really interesting to watch from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he definitely represents the kind of inner demons that I guess a lot of queer teenagers and kids feel when they're experiencing these feelings and not quite sure how it's going to be received or you know kind of hating themselves mm. um but freddie's quite camp as well and i quite i quite enjoy that about freddie his campness he is quite camp yeah yeah and he's he's very he's a very shady queen um oh, God, yeah. <laughs> he's all about the quips and the comebacks i just feel like he needs a fan and just 
whip the flare out every now and then. If he if he flicked his, his glove and like right. there was fans in the thing, that would be very that would be great. Um, <laughs> just completely redoing the franchise because this was back when it was still nominally scary. Like it was yeah. before they kind of completely declawed him essentially. Um, with some of the the subsequent um subsequent films in the franchise, I think you know Robert um England, he 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 brings such a joy to that mm. role, which is a weird thing to say because the role is that of a child mass killer. Um, but he's clearly having so much fun, and there's such a wonderful energy to it. Um, I think that's where a lot of that campness comes from. There's another scene that I guess you could read as both, obviously, this queer subtext, but also kind of a universal feeling that when you are first having sexual encounters with another person, and <laughs> I mean, the big slimy tongue comes out, that is... <laughs> Yeah, that poor that poor actress who had to deal with that like i know and this is where he runs to grady and he's like and grady's like what are you doing here what are you doing in my bedroom like you've got a girl to bang like yeah and it's it's just it's a very like forcing yourself to do these sexual things when you're not 100 percent ready or not 100 percent um comfortable with them mm-hmm. and that's a very universal kind of feeling for a lot of people oh yeah that's that you know there's obviously a lot more complications when it comes to queer people, but it's certainly not exclusive to them um, whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And there was even the idea of having, you know, in the 80s, having a man, a cis man, question whether he is ready to have sexual, like a sexual moment <laughs> with another person, regardless of their gender. Like that would have been very unusual to be depicted on film or in anywhere at the time like it was you know if you were a guy you wanted to have sex and that was that especially if you were a teenage boy um so let's chat about the character of the coach which is we've already said that he's part of the leather scene yeah. that was so, very big in uh, america at the time and for leather bars but it's a strange character like i want to be like go him for being out and proud and what but then He's such but a terrible person. Gay. Yeah. He's an evil predatory gay. And that makes me sad. That gives me the sads when I watch this film. Cause I'm like, he didn't need to be portrayed that way. He really didn't. Um, and he's, he is explicitly portrayed as predatory. Yeah. Um, well, it's never, I suppose, depicted quite in that way, but it is certainly said by some of the characters that he, you know, he likes pretty boys and he likes to punish people and all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, non-consensual kink. We do not approve. Um, and then, yeah. And so <laughs> Jesse ends up in this bar, which does not appear to be strictly a gay bar. But then yeah. neither daddy coach shows up and is like, you're trying to drink beer. No, we're going to the school and make you run laps. It's so strange. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's he's a pretty terrible character and it does it just falls into that you know gays are evil and die that's what they do yeah i mean it felt like a weird inclusion if you see one of your students at a gay bar you leave them the fuck alone like you just (laughs) don't make them run laps that's weird that's very weird Uh, don't bring them somewhere alone while you're still in your leather daddy gear yeah like yeah questionable Questionable. very questionable um so yes, that that makes me a bit sad. Um, and as well, 
portraying Jesse as a monster possessed. I guess like there's so many like on one hand I love this film, but mm. on other hands when you read into it from different views you're like okay, he's being his queerness is being portrayed as a possession that yes. needs to be exercised and needs to be saved by this straight seeming female character. Mm-hmm. So what is the message that that sends? Not a good one for sure. And yes, absolutely. Like it isn't a great message from that point of view. Um, Like, yeah, his, I I suppose it depends on whether you see Freddie as his queerness or his internalized homophobia, like his hatred of himself lashing out at other people. And there's a couple of different ways that you can read that. So I suppose, I mean, they're all kind of valid, really, because it's such an odd film that's kind of fighting within itself for various different (laughs) things. because it was made when it was made and it was this big uh, franchise at the time, obviously coming off the back of the original, which was a huge hit. Um, like they couldn't do anything explicitly queer with it, with the exception of the evil coach. Um, so how can they portray that, and but not portray it at the same time? You know, it's a weird one. Let's talk about the uh, actor that plays Jesse Mark Patton. Mm. Um, as you said, it was kind of his first and probably his career was pretty much dogged after this. Now, I haven't seen the documentary that you suggested because I couldn't find it anywhere. So do you want to explain a bit about what happened to Mark Patton's career after this film? Uh, yeah, sure. So the documentary um, I was lucky enough to see in 2019 as part of the Harathon and the IFI. Um, it's called Scream Queen. Um, <laughs> so it, it, he had done a couple of films before this, two, two films before this. And he was kind of an up and comer, like people had noticed him um, and he did this and the, both the director, I think, and the writers, I think, knew more than he did. Now, he was gay at the time. He was, like, say, openly gay. Um, of course, he was gay at the time. <laughs> but he was openly gay amongst his friends, I suppose. Um, like he had a partner and all this kind of stuff. Um, but because the film was so queer and he was the first male scream queen essentially which was not seen as a particularly marketable trait in Hollywood at the time he didn't get any more work he was bullied out of the business um he also was subsequently diagnosed with AIDS Mm -hmm. um he moved to um I think it might have been Mexico but I'm not sure somewhere in South America Central or South America um, and met a partner and he does do stuff now. So it, he did uh, Freddy's Revenge and his next on-screen performance was in 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he does do a lot of cons and stuff now. He'll do yeah. convention appearances and things like that. But he um, puts most, if not all, of his um, appearance fees to uh, AIDS and other queer charities, which is great. Yeah. But yeah, he had a pretty tough time of it. It was a really interesting story to hear about how a young man who was not openly gay but was even though he was he but the minute he was perceived as such his career fucking dissolved yeah yeah it's yeah it's such a shame because he played jesse amazingly like Mm, it's a great performance 
just the absolute torture, the, the emotional and physical torture he goes through. And he plays it like he is one of the best final people. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed uh, his performance as a final teenager and one that isn't a typical of the time macho standard kind of beefhead yeah. <laughs> like we're kind of used to in 80s slashers do you think nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge is an important part of queer horror history absolutely um yeah and I, I unfortunately though i think it's a kind of bittersweet one because of what it did to mark patton's career like it's this piece of queer history truly damaged this queer person um which i think is really sad um and it's it's a real shame and yeah if you can track down the documentary i would definitely definitely suggest it to anyone out there it's really interesting um and he's got an incredible story to tell just around as well around like obviously being a survivor of, of aids um and um and all of that kind of stuff you know just existing in the 80s with AIDS is a whole other thing. Um, and then just around how he was treated and how he's managed to make this incredible, like, sort of cultural comeback, if not a career comeback. Um, but yeah, but it's also this, you know, it is very clearly a piece of queer media. Um, and they are so rare. <laughs> from Well, I suppose they're not rare, but I mean, it's one of the more obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um unfortunately i wish it could be a piece of media that is queer joy but unfortunately obviously with his story but it's still an important one just to be a time capsule for what being queer was like in the 80s Mm. um yeah i both the film and what happened post film as well um so i take it you'd recommend this to horror fans then absolutely yeah Look, it, it is a great film. It is. It obviously has some like it, there's some sad bits to its history, but it's it's still a great film to watch. You know, it's a great performance from Mark Patton, and we should remember uh, what a great actor he was, and it probably still is. But he couldn't be arse re-entering that world, and I certainly don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what other horror films would you recommend for someone looking to watch some queer horror, not just during Pride Month, during just in general the whole year? Um, do we want to talk out and out queer or um, more kind of older 80s and, and earlier subtextual queers? <laughs> Whatever you would like. Um, we have talked about this one before, but uh, Cat People is actually uh, n- very much seen as a uh, queer horror film, um, particularly around kind of female sexuality and stuff like that. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um Technically, Psycho, I suppose, is a queer horror film. Um, kind of. Uh, oh gosh, what else? I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show, obviously. Of course. Going back to Susan Sarandon. Um, not technically horror. It's very technically queer. Um, more bisexual disasters. <laughs> um, Jennifer's Body is a great one. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really fantastic film and you already talked about Raw with um, Mix Bell uh, so yeah I don't know what about yourself what would be the other one other one that I would think of and I'm not is uh, uh, the Hellraiser <laughs> of course Hellraiser of course. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just read um, The Hellbound Heart actually by Clive Ooh. Barker yes well I say read listen to the audiobook it's the um, <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and I found it delightful, if you could call Clive Barker's <laughs> material delightful. Darkly delightful. I loved it. Very kinky. Um, <laughs> but yes, Hellraiser. I am going to recommend um, a couple. I'm going to go with The Quiet Room, which is a short film um, directed by Sam Weinman. It has Alaska Thunderfuck as the demon. Amazing. Um, haunting uh, Michael, played by Jamal Douglas. Um, I'm also going to recommend for those who are into more extreme horror, um, Hot Tension or High Tension. That is based on a queer a queer person as well as What Keeps You Alive. And the thing I love about What Keeps You Alive is it's based around a queer relationship, but that's not the plot point. It's mm. just they're a queer couple. That's, just, that's yes. yeah. So I really enjoyed those, and they would be my uh, my push. But there are some great um, picks on Shudder at the moment. Um, if you mm. like your horror with a bit of drag queen, there is now. I'm going to have to. There is a film called Death Drop Gorgeous. I've had my eye on this one. I haven't actually watched it yet, though. And of course, if you're in for a bit of reality TV, the Boulay Brothers, Dracula. Oh, yes, obviously. Or what was the one that Alaska was on? There was a reality TV show called, um, was it Scared Famous or something like that? Oh, I don't know. It was like, it was like Big Brother, but also a yeah. horror house kind of vibe. It, was, it looked so stupid. It was like a bunch of celebrities, celebrities, um, lived in a house together for a while. And then the producers would like pump in creepy sounds and shit. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> so stupid but it looked really entertaining why do you think just as a bit of a, a part in discourse why do you think horror I mean I know we've kind of touched on it but why do you mm. think horror is so inherently queer I think it it does co- it does come down a lot to what you said earlier about really relating to the outsider to the person who is shunned because how many classic horror characters like Frankenstein or the Phantom of the Opera become monsters, not because they just are, but because they've been shunned from society because they can't be accepted for who they are and what they are. Um, and so I, there's a lot there to, to relate to from a queer perspective, you know, it's like, and, and then I think as well, like there have been queer people involved in horror since the very beginning. I mean, James Whale is one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, he's a queer man, very, very camp, very entertaining characters in a lot of his films. Um, even you look at um, Freaks, Todd Browning, like that's a very queer film in and of itself, even though there's no ostensibly queer characters. Um, that sort of, you know, outsiders making their own their own family like found family is a huge part of queerness and there's a lot of that as well in horror so I think yeah there's there's very sort of straight that that very straight down the line reading and I think also you know the same way that a lot of people are interested in horror is that it's a way to escape the horrors of your real life as well you can kind of go into it and go okay well you know I'm this sucks right now but at least it's not that bad at least I don't have a dude killing me in my dreams yeah (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. I mean, the way all of what you said, but also it is a way to explore certain feelings that you wouldn't be able to explore in real life. So 
I'd say anger and wrath. It's like, okay, I can't go out and kill all these people that are annoying the shit out of me because I'm not a basic white male with a gun problem. So I'm going to watch this horror film where there's all this society and people who fuck up this monster and then get their retribution. Like, it's not a nice way of saying it, but sometimes when I'm pissed off at the world, I want to see some cunts being cut up. Like, that's just, you know. And that's how I explore those feelings in quite a responsible manner, I'm going to say. It was a very responsible way to deal with your anger towards the world. Yeah. No, it's, it, yeah, the, the cathartic nature of horror for sure is another big part of us. Yeah. Um. So thank you so much for coming on and being part of this Pride special. And don't forget, Pride was a riot. Mm-hmm. Throw some bricks through some windows. Exactly. Um. And if people would like to find you on social media, where can they do so? They can find me at the Ruby Noir uh, on most social media platforms. Thank you. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at What a Scream Podcast, as well as on Twitter at What underscore Scream. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe wherever you are listening to us on. And as always, stay horrific. Goodbye. Happy Pride, y'all.